On today's show, a lot of heartburn over the proposed food tax increase. And the question, censure over impeachment. Representative Ben McAdams is on the censure train. Tune in Monday through Thursday, 9 to 11 for Dave and Dijanovic. Hey, Andy Phillips here, and I'm Tom Hackett. You may remember us from that time when we used to try really hard to make plays on fourth down. Well, we're back at it with a brand new show called Special Forces Gang, where we give you new perspective on what it takes to be a football player. We talk all things Utah football, sports, and life. Don't miss Special Forces Gang. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or on kslsports.com. Go Utes! Half an hour to an hour of training every day for their first 10 days of work. And then that moves into twice a week. So we start out with what we call onboarding, just helping people understand what the company looks like, um, who they're working with, how to little things, how to how to get your email fixed, or or if some little thing goes wrong with your computer. We cover all that, and then uh, we roll them into how to be a consultant at now CFO. So we teach them what the expectations are. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, I've got Jim Bennett. Jim, thanks for making time. It's good to be here with you. Thank you. So for people who don't know Now CFO, can you give us the elevator spec, the elevator pitch? Yeah, I'd like to do that. So Now CFO is designed to help people fix the accounting, accounting and finance problems that all companies face. So we use our expert employees to come on site and help you through those issues. And the value proposition is to be able to have a CFO or a controller um, and be able to buy their experience and knowledge by the hour without needing to engage a full-time employee. And and how long ago did you start the business or how did it get started? Started the business 13 years ago. So I, uh, uh, my background real quick is uh, um, after school, I uh, was working at Deloitte and I got, I got recruited to Utah and I ended up working for uh, five different companies. Every company I worked for got sold. And some of those were uh, larger and some were startups. And I learned through that process that there were many companies that could use a little bit of help, but didn't have the real budget for that help. And I had seen a couple of other people try to do this. Um, And so I thought, I'm going to start down this track. I quit a good job and made my wife really uptight about doing that. (laughs) So here I am 13 years later, I'm in uh, 12 states, uh, 23 cities and 230 full-time employees. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things I've been impressed with is we've gotten to know each other through Corporate Alliance is um, you have uh, a real talent for consistency. You seem to, you're always going and you seem to like have a real steady pace instead of you know, maybe a lot of entrepreneurs who um, it's it's a little more of a wave. And any thoughts about that? Yeah, you know, I I agree with that. I you know I grew up on a dairy farm, um, interestingly enough, and I think I learned that uh, you know slow and steady kind of makes it makes it work. 
what's what's the old saying slow and steady slow and steady wins a race yeah and, and so i've just uh um even though i wanted to run away from the dairy farm maybe i brought a lot of those uh lessons life lessons there so everything everything we work on jess is designed to be turned into a process and so it's uh it's ongoing experiments everywhere and if if the experiment is successful then we test it we test it further and if we test it further and we continue to find success whatever the area is could be part of our operations could be sales um etc then then we start to build it into a process and as we build it into a process then we build training around it and and uh we teach our people how to do it the way that we know that works and and everything has been done that way from the beginning i yeah i wish i could take credit for it but a lot of smart people here yeah so I'm just thinking about sometimes when I've seen you and you're like, we just opened a branch in Alaska or these places you're like, haven't been there yet. Is it that process that gives you the confidence to do stuff like that? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So having opened a decent number of cities, you know, in the twenties now it's uh, yeah. So what happens when we do that, we know the steps to take and people have been shown how to do that and they engage and we just turn everything on and once you turn everything on then all the good things start to happen now nothing goes in uh um it always costs more and takes longer than you want it to but we can get started and and we've gotten much better at being able to get to sales meetings immediately that kind of thing i'll give you an uh, can i give you an example of Please. that yeah so when i started atlanta four or five months ago um, had a had one of our um, consultants that wanted to relocate there. In our first trip out there, the, the consultant who was going to become the general manager partner, um, we oh, we had done work ahead of time to get an office. We did inter interviews for a salesperson, hired a salesperson, and we had uh, we had had the, our internal call center set sales meetings, and we closed our first engagement in the first two days we were there. And so, you know, you have to do a lot of planning to get there. But those are the kind of things that get things off the ground quickly. And that's what we, that's what we do. So everything is, is really about planning and consistency. I think you said it at the best at the beginning. It's just about consistency, um, not hot this week and slow next week. We just work on it at a very steady pace. Yeah. Any advice for those of us who maybe that's not our natural temperament, but we can see the advantages of wanting to become more like that? Well, process, you can scale process. You can't scale a person because a person only can do so much. And so if you have the desire to build a business that goes beyond uh, what you can touch every day, and then you've really got to consider processes and training and the things that, that go into building building out everything you do so others can do it and be successful. And you know the parameters to, that they should work in. Yeah. So I'm thinking about um, the, the math here. Uh, when I look at how many markets you're in versus how many years you've owned the business, it seems like you pretty much, you've got basically, you've expanded into two new markets almost every year. Um, you know, I'm guessing the pace wasn't exactly that, but it kind of looks like that's about what the math is. Is that fair? 
I wish it was that even. The first five years, um, it took five years to get into three cities. And so, but from there, yes, it's been, it's been pretty steady unless we've, there's been one time where we stopped for a year and decided not to open any new cities. But uh, for the most part, yeah, we open, uh, we try to open a few every year. Right now we're on a, a big push to expand um, with more partners in each city that we're in. Yeah. So the we bigger market presence. Sure. You know, um, there's a lot of folks who would like to see that kind of expansion, you know, in a, in a dozen years in, you know, 23 plus markets here. Um, when it comes to the kind of processes that can give you the confidence to, to be able to do that and, and reliably and have it not be a bunch of catastrophes, even though I'm sure there's little things to be dealt with every time. Um, any, any additional uh, aspects and advice you'd have about what that preparation looks like or how they can trust. Yes. Our process really is good enough that we can, we can, you know, have another look, we can keep adding locations or just kind of that, that gut check on yet. We're ready. Yeah. It goes beyond gut check. So it, it really goes to metrics um, and parameters. So, so sales is the main thing you've got to be able to do. You've got to be able to add clients or customers or move product. Um, because sales will fix a lot of your problems. It will also stretch you to be able to, uh, you know, uh, take care of the sales. But if, um, yeah, so if your sales are working, then it, it will move forward. And then um, culturally, you've also got to, you've, you've got to move your culture there. And so you've got to come up with how to do that. Currently, currently I, I prefer to relocate someone from an existing city and then we hire everyone else locally. Um, but I've done it both ways. You can do it both ways. Um, but uh, training matters a lot because that's another way that you move culture. And so really those couple of things. Um, so I'll give you an example. So from a sales standpoint, we have leading indicators where um, we ask salespeople to report their activity every day, but not 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 meetings per se, but we have a little point system that we use and they know that they're supposed to go get a certain number of points every day. And if you get those points every day and every week, then pretty soon you, you can hit your uh, goals. And uh, it, it's those kind of metrics that really drive it. So it's not just a gut check, Jess. It's, it's about knowing that you're succeeding and you know what that ramp looks like. Um, so you've, you've got to go live it yourself. I mean, I've opened many of these cities myself where I flew into the city and did all this from the ground up. And once you do that a few times, but uh, you, get, you get so you understand where the numbers should be and what the expectations should be. Yeah. So um, can you talk about what training looks like? It sounds like, you know, there's a whole mindset along with, you know, with the, with the skill sets here, what, what is, what does training look like when you've opened a new city, you've, you've transplanted somebody, but you've hired local folks to, to come fill in. Yeah. So the training started long before that. So we start training on their first day and they, they do about um, a half an hour, half an hour to an hour of training every day for their first 10 days of work. And then that moves into twice a week. So we start out with what we call onboarding just helping people understand what the company looks like. Um, 
who they're working with, how to little things, how to how to get your email fixed, or or if some little thing goes wrong with your computer, we cover all that, and then uh, we roll them into how to be a consultant at now CFO. So we teach them what the expectations are, and um, um, what they should plan to be doing, and then we move them into um, what we call client next level client service. Um, and that's on the consultant side. On the sales side, anybody that's involved in sales, we do about an hour of sales training every week after the initial, you know, multi-day classes. So I believe that I, yeah, I'm a big believer and proponent of training. And so most people then ask me, well, how did you build the training? Well, what we usually do is go see what the experts tell tell us we should do. And then we adapt that to how, what we do. And we say, well, what does that mean to us? If they say this is the right concept, how do we do that? And that adaptation to the field has uh, added a lot of success too. You know, I'd love to hear more about this because there's so many folks in leadership that they say training's a great thing and then they hand it off to some, you know, somebody in HR and basically don't really follow up on it again. And it feels, as you talk about it, like it takes a much more central role for you as the CEO. Yeah, so I have I have full-time trainers that help me de- develop the curriculum, but our trainers do not teach it. I think that's a big misnomer. Uh, again, this is just my opinion, but um, when we have a, so we, we give people 30 minutes of self-study, they go through the curriculum, and then we workshop that material, and the workshop is run by people that are on the ground, on the front line. So if you're in sales training, you teach your peers and then they teach you and we rotate through that very quickly. So everyone teaches and uh, it's really great because they bring live examples and we don't, we don't want a, to be a lecture either. Lectures are boring. We all read the material. So let's, let's talk about real life examples and how we can do better. And uh, then we iterate on the training. We record those calls and we bring back the best examples and we continue to make our training better. So it's just a never-ending, ongoing process. And I love it. I mean, it, it may sound crazy, and that may sound like, oh, my gosh, what a nightmare. But we've turned it into a lot of fun, and we've turned it into a lot of value. It almost sounds like a bit of a game. Can we get people up to speed and you know, proficient at these repeatable processes? Is that a fair yeah, assessment? Yeah, sure. And then I... I'm always beating myself up to say, okay, if we're going to go into a new city, how do we shave off a month or two or three months to get to to break even? How do we shave off time to get a new salesperson um, so that they're succeeding? You know, things like that. So that's real ROI when you when you come at it that way. Yeah. What are some of the things that have worked as you as you worked on that? Um, consistency. The uh, the initial the initial training we did was um, bring in the expert, let them uh, let them tell us and give us the rah rah session. But what I found is very little of that translated into day to day. Within two weeks, we were just back to doing our own our the old way, and that was not useful. But by by giving people bite sized pieces um, that they can really learn from then it works well. Yeah. Kind of those meaningful repetitions like any other skill, huh? Yeah. Well, and I don't, I didn't find that anyone learned well in a full day session. 
what I found is that we had interest for a little while and it would, uh, it would tail off quickly and you've got to be repetitive. So, um, and everything we've done when I talk about training, we've put this into, a, put it into a manual and it's very tangible, uh, you know, and then we, it's not just stuff you read. It's, it's, uh, you know, PowerPoints, it's videos, the trainers make it fun. They find all kinds of funny, goofy things off the internet that help us uh, keep it entertaining and push it away from a lecture. Yeah, I love it. Well, um, we're, we're closing in on part one of the interview here, but uh, one of my favorite questions to ask is, what's a piece of advice you would give a younger version of yourself? Um, start sooner and uh, um, just take some of the risk, just jump in. I, I should have started sooner. You know, I had already had one career in public accounting. So uh, yeah, start sooner. sooner. And then uh, I guess starting sooner kind of means be fearless, just go. Yeah, where do you think holds us back? What do you think, what do you think the fear is nagging at for us? Well, you know, if you think about a human being, when you're a baby or a toddler or something, um, you're not really scared of anything, you're just curious. And then you go to school and different things and, and society might put some labels on you, um, you know, different things like, oh, that's the smart kid or that's the weird kid or that, that kid's an athlete or whatever it is. And then we, that's who we think we are. And for some reason, those labels, um, good or bad, uh, can, limit, can limit who we are. And so sometimes I think we need to shrug that off and uh, just remember that we're all human beings and we, uh, you know, we're all trying to, we're all trying to make a difference and move forward in our lives. And if you see the world that way, then that makes us all pretty equal. Yeah. It, it's interesting how it can almost be debilitating of like, Hey, you know, I really like this label. It's almost like the boy scout merit badge, right? If I, if I do that, I risk losing, I risk losing this image or this label, huh? Yeah, for sure. And if, you know, maybe you're an athlete and athletes sometimes get a lot of accolades and things, but that can be very limiting too, versus, you know, if you're the quiet kid in the corner that gets made fun of a little bit, that can be totally debilitating. It's just really shrugging all that off and saying, I'm, I'm going to go make a difference and I'm going to be fearless. I'm going to go forward with my ideas. And, uh, especially as an entrepreneur, you can make a huge difference in people's lives. I mean, I'm in a service business. We don't have any big technology or anything, but I take a lot of pride in the fact that we've created good jobs for people and we provide health insurance and things like that, you know, so that they can, they can do the things that matter to them. Yeah, I love it. Well, listen, uh, everybody, please tune back in to part two. We're going to ask Jim some more about Grown a business to over 200 employees in the last dozen years. Thanks so much.